0: Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Thematics, a series of conversations where we will discuss about future trends, big ideas or themes that will shape our investment future today and certainly for many years to come. I'm Audrey Gold and with me today, I have David Sarah. CEO of Algebra Investments, a global asset management boutique firm which manages long only and hedge strategies across multi assets and now manages over $20 billion of assets globally. So, welcome, David. Thank you. Now, I feel like we've been talking. A lot about inflation uh, in recent months and even year, because of supply chain bottlenecks, uh, higher commodity prices, uh, as well as you know um, concern over um, uh, you know re- reopening driving even higher demand. I think if we look at what's been happening around the world, um, certainly inflation has been big topic among investors as well as central bankers. And today, because of economies starting to reopen, uh, we are once again seeing supply chain shortages. And China, being the lockdown, has certainly also exacerbated this problem. And if we add into this mix uh, the recent crisis that we've seen in the Ukraine Russia war, this basically looks like even you know turning an even a bad bad situation to something something even worse. With uh, I think overnight we've seen Russia cutting gas supplies to Poland as well as Bulgaria in Eastern Europe. So from your perspective, how do you see the situation in Ukraine Russia war playing out, and how does that impact your macro view of the world?
1: So uh, first of all the Russia-Ukraine war, it's really a sea change. The reason is because if you think about it, Europe had two world wars in the 20th century, and the European Union, the Euro itself, were a project based for peace and political stability. The Russian aggression on Ukraine it's basically motivated in our view because the Donbass region has about $7.5 trillion of metals. Uh, they have palladium, iron ore, copper. They have materials and metals which are valuable for the green transition. In Russia, economy, it's 100% dependent on export of oil and gas, nothing else. And as oil and gas over the next 10 to 20 years will end up being liability rather than assets, basically the Russian economy will crumble. So they need to diversify. And unfortunately, the way they're doing it is by starting a war. This will have profound implications. The first one is that Germany has decided to rearm itself. Economically, it's positive because it means more tech investments and basically be more self-sufficient and also more debt. So Germany has canceled their approach of zero debt, the so-called schwarze null, basically has been totally changed. And secondly, Switzerland has moved away from neutrality. Again, this has never happened over the last 200 years. So the positive out of what's happening is that Europe will end up being more dependent. Now, Poland, was about to cancel all the Russian gas by September this year already. So it's not a huge deal three months before or after. What this will do is further accelerate the isolation of Russia, and uh, Europe will end up investing massively in renewables and in nuclear, and we think will be energy sufficient in the next three to four years. This, as a result, is likely to create an investment boom in Europe, mainly led by defence and energy. There is fiscal capacity to do so, and the central bank remains on basically very low rates, albeit probably not negative any longer. And hence, we think there is likely to be a big investment boom over the coming years driven by green transition for energy independence. And secondly, by the defence and technology sector.
0: And we have also seen on the back of that, prices of raw material <clears> have <throat> fact surge higher, driven by this transition towards green energy, and obviously some of the structural underinvestments that we have seen among matters and commodities generally uh, over the last uh, couple of months. And as a result of that, as well, we've also seen countries in a bid to secure energy security actually uh, hastening their you know, transition towards renewables as well as alternative energies. Uh, so, ex- for example, the German financial minister actually highlights clean energy as the new energy of freedom. And we also know for a fact that China has been prioritizing decarbonization over the last couple of years. And with that in mind, it's certainly one way for them to you know, secure energy security, given they are still a net importer of crude oil and gas at this point in time. So how do you see this playing out and how can investors position themselves for this?
1: It's a very good topic. So first of all, what we need to consider, big picture, is that every year on planet Earth, we humans right now are consuming about 1.7 times the renewable capacity of our own planet. So it's like, you know, we have one meal, but we're eating 1.7 meal each day. It's clearly non-sustainable. So what this is leading is shortage of every renewable material, food, water, clean air, uh, biodiversity. And all this, it's driven by an excessive consumption of carbon fossil fuel, which has increased CO2 and the temperature in the atmosphere. This has happened through the planet life cycle. So the only way is to cut carbon fuel. There is no other way out. And anyone that has been in a museum would have seen fossil. Yeah, twice on planet Earth, life has been extinct. Every time is because the average temperature of the planet has moved by more than plus minus three. We have ended the period of basically stability in temperature about ten years ago. That's what you know paleontologists tell us, and hence the old planet needs to go towards a sustainable energy source. China is at the forefront because they have long term planning, and this will further accelerate. Now, the best way to invest, I think, first of all, is hence there are two ways. One way is to position yourself. On the what are the commodity which will be needed for this green transition, and basically means long term less oil and gas which will be negative and positive all the metals that allow green transition. so basically capture wind, solar fundamentally in order to create energy. The second is to index in all the technology sector. That facilitates this green transition and basically anything from battery recycling material, uh, and basically reutilizing what we currently have in this Europe. It's at the forefront for a simple reason. Europe has no oil and gas, which is why it imports it from Russia and the Middle East. <laughs> but secondly, it's the largest exporter in the world together with China and the United States. Um, And it has a massive industrial manufacturing base. And hence, the capacity of being energy frugal and basically have low consumption of energy has always been at the hallmark because it didn't have it. I think the best example, if you think about it, take the average car in Europe, it has 50% less horsepower than the average American car. <laughs> yep. That's
0: really interesting.
1: So basically, because it doesn't have cheap oil and gas, it cannot basically uh, waste energy. It just, it can't. And at the same time, I think this will lead to more prosperity going forward for the reason that uh, more people will be focused on harvesting natural resources in a sustainable way and in particularly across Europe you have southern Europe which is let's say some countries at the same level of North Africa there's plenty of sun yep and on the north side because of the rough seas and the north seas plenty of wind so renewable will be able to go from about 10-15% today to about 30 35 and the rest will come through diversity have diversified sources. Now, short term, unfortunately, this is happening globally. People will have to restart coal plants simply because if you had high energy dependence from gas and oil, short term, you need to replug what used to be the old way, which is using carbon.
0: So so if that in that if that's the case, then how do you approach uh ESG investing then? Because a lot of what we need for to enable green transition today is in fact quite dirty or quite energy intensive because you're talking about a big usage in med- base matters, you're talking about lots of energy needing to enable the extraction of the matters and for it to be you know converted into, I don't know, electric vehicles or even wind farms for that matter. So how do you what is your framework when you think about you know incorporating green into your own portfolio or from, from an investor perspective?
1: It's a very good question. So all our strategies are triply rated by MSCI and ESG. And the reason is because fundamentally, we finance the European banks and insurance, that because their own country and economies were not big in oil and gas simply because they didn't have it, Yep, not because they didn't want to, it's they never had it. So it's very hard to finance what you don't have. Um, So, for example, the I always give an example that the J.P. Morgan oil and gas portfolio, it's almost as big as all of Europe put together. But you see, America is the number one energy exporter country in the world. Uh, In Europe, it's 100% dependent on other people. So you're not financing what you don't have. Then what matters is you're financing for what? And hence, today, the energy usage is towards something better. So, for example, we have been decommissioning coal already for five, seven years. We've been asking every, all our companies to have a clear net zero target. And you'll be surprised how many people don't even know their own emission. Uh, so, for example, we calculate emission directly and indirectly. And as long as everyone has a goal to net reduction, of the overall impact, this is what everybody has to work towards. Um, we even price uh, equity and credit based on overall carbon footprint of each of the underlying assets. Clearly this, it's done only thanks to the Fed that the central banks so far have been at the forefront. So if you think about it, the number two sector in sustainable is actually the financial sector. For the simple reason because it doesn't have plants yeah and that's where central banks and politicians have put the pressure as regulators now it's obvious you know think about it in standard charted as you don't run any steel plant you don't run any chemical plant don't run any energy plant we cannot be as financier the solution the only thing we can do is help financing the transition and that means towards something better that means more energy efficient less carbon uh, fossil utilization that's it. So there's only two way you work it less energy intensive and less carbon fossil fuel and then anything that increases the circularity of material, whether it's plastic for example, we have hired the CEO of one of the largest utility in Europe, the head of renewable, the CEO, the head of M a, the head of venture, and these guys have been running uh, you know uh, industries for the last 20 30 years, within Europe in order to facilitate this transition in running actually both private equity strategy and listed strategy uh, to facilitate this. But you can only do it with people that come from the industry. It cannot be someone that f- studied economics, uh, yeah? Uh, That'll be difficult. <laughs> exactly. It will be not only uh, difficult, but hypocritical.
0: <laughs> okay, so from a, so if, if I'm looking at it from someone who is, you know, a high net worth investor, for example, and looking to incorporate uh, more of the ESG element or even the green element into my portfolio today. So you mentioned about, you know, either looking at uh, companies who actually enable the transitions, things like, you know, batteries, for example, uh, things that drive energy efficiency. And then you're talking about also, you know, potentially some institutions that help to finance the enablers uh, for that matter. But we've also seen, that there's been a lot of volatility with regards to green-related ESG investments. So, for example, last year we have seen massive volatilities among solar players and similarly this year as well, among some of the batteries as well as electric car players too. Um, how, how can investors manage this you know, in their investment journey? Because all these are long-term and yet some of the volatility is made, perhaps deterring investment investors from you know, entering or looking at it more holistically.
1: I think it's a very good question. So the way we approach it is there's an indirect way of financing the green transition, getting paid 6 to 7% in dollar each year, and at the same time, have very low volatility, which is focusing on the credit investment of the greenest financial institution in the world. So you basically make a selection. Of the greenest banks and insurance in Europe, simply because they don't have oil and gas. Yeah? Uh, so not because they're better, it's because they don't have it. And then investing in credit, super safe, you can get paid a carry. So basically, you get paid six, seven percent in dollar each year by helping finance in the green transition. So you don't invest in equity, which is volatility, mm-hmm. you stay in credit of the safest bank in Europe. So the banks which are born to finance the green economy in Europe, which are, for example, like cash in Spain, Crédit Agricole, it's called the Green Bank, you know, it's the bank of a French peasant, yeah? That's how you built. basically, it's the food of Europe. You have Intesa, you have the Allianz in Germany, um, uh, the Bank of Santander, you have Standard Chartered that has been doing this, you know, over the years. Um, you have HSBC, and so, taking these names as financial institution in your portfolio and investing in credit, you can help the green transition. They're all under the ECB, Bank of England, uh, you know, uh, MAS, um, and the various monetary authority. So the regulators is looking at their action. They all have clear net zero target, which not every company has, and you get paid seven percent in dollar. So I think. It's a very attractive risk reward and on top of it, the financial sector has one unique advantage. Over the last 10 years, as inflation was low and rates even went negative, their margins have been shrinking. But with short-term rates going up and central bank hiking, financials will see the margin expanding. So it's one of the few sectors that has positive correlation to earnings with rising rates. And hence I think should be key part of your portfolio. It's an indirect way of keeping exposure by basically doing good, reducing the volatility, being in credit so super safe, and getting paid a very attractive carry of six to seven percent in bonds.
0: Well, I think that's a great idea because I think traditionally, from the mind of many investors, you know, the first impression people think about when trying to access green-related investments. Are perhaps in equity-related asset class, right? But actually, the credit space or the bond space also offer a lot of potential hidden opportunities, which may be less visible to investors. Um, maybe just one last question from me before I wrap up, and it's really about China, and because um, decarbonization is top, is one of the top agenda for China today. And now with a security anger, energy security anger behind it as well, I think Chinese policymakers are not even given giving it even more importance with regards to decarbonizing. And if we look at the, the intentions by Chinese authorities to uh, decarbonize by 2030, 2060, for example, what do you think, how realistic do you think their ambitions are? Because compared to many developed countries, they are certainly much, well, they, are, they have certainly set themselves a much faster target compared to what we have seen happen in developed market historically.
1: Yeah, so I think First of all, China has one great competitive advantage is that the, the leadership, it's thinking in 50, 100 years time horizon. And so not, not for the next quarter election. That means on climate action, they've been at the forefront of what Europe has understood is the key priority, also because it's wealthy and hence can afford it while well, many emerging market just can't afford the transition. Let's be clear. If you do not want to pollute, it costs money. It's cheaper to take your garbage and throw it out of the window than to build a recycling plant and recycle your pollution. Now, short term, though, if you just pollute in the medium term, it's going to cost more because you cannot live where you've been polluting. It's as simple as that. So in China, they have... One big issue, though, about 30% of their economy over the last 10 years has been driven by real estate investments. And cement is one of the most energy-intensive industries on the planet. If you have ever seen a cement plant, you see how much energy it uses. And hence, they have a problem, which between their rhetoric and their actions, there is a, a number that it's missing, which today they're still the largest utilities, of coal. Hence, we are talking a good direction, but today they use more coal than anybody else. So in Europe, coal consumption has basically been decommissioned by all pre-war. In China, it still accounts for 40% of all their energy. And because of the capacity of China to make long-term planning, I think the speed of adjustments will be fast. And while in Europe, I think we're going to probably stop having, for example, combustion engine by 2035-40. In China, I think it's just 10 years later. And it's unbelievable how China will basically achieve full net zero green transition, probably within five to 10 years difference because a vis Europe, which is at the forefront. In this, the US is very much behind because they are so rich, in energy, but they don't feel the need. And they don't share at the same time, overall as a country, the same goals.
0: So I think it's going to be a a great great set of ambitions. But reaching there, probably we may, you know, going to be a long journey. But the good thing is, everyone seems to be aligned towards the net zero target. And that's what's really driving uh, the whole world today. So great. And thank you so much, David, as well, for taking your time with me today. A lot of insights that you share, which I believe our listeners will appreciate. And thank you, listener, for taking the time off to listen to this episode of our podcast. And we hope you've enjoyed uh, what you've heard today. And please don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast channel whenever you receive them. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank.